Are you ready to be transported back to 1800s high society London? Because season three of Bridgerton is now playing only on Netflix. This season follows the story of the Tons resident wallflower, Penelope Featherington, as she undergoes a journey of self-discovery and empowerment where we see her truly blossom. Penn's emotional transformation takes centre stage as her friendship with the charming Colin Bridgerton evolves into something more. For those not yet acquainted, Colin, the charming younger brother of the Bridgerton family, is about to turn Penelope's world upside down. Mm, This is the ultimate good friends to lovers story. From those initial butterflies to when both parties realise there might be something more between them, watch Bridgerton Season 3, now playing only on Netflix. Welcome to Shameless, the pop culture podcast for smart people who love dumb stuff. You're joined, as always, by Melbourne writers, Michelle Andrews, that would be me, and Zara McDonald, that would be you. Sounded a little bit like writers, bike riders. <laughs> we are all, you guys. <laughs> I, I, I'd fall straight off a bike. We are also joined, as always, by producer Annabelle Lee. Hi, guys. Hello, hey. Annabelle Lee. Coming up on today's show, what in the vibey hell is a vibe shift and why does everyone keep saying it's coming? Plus, Britney's big book deal, how Brooke Hogan's Instagram stories sparked a conversation in the Shameless office this week, and then one of the more interesting mailbag entries we've had in ages. How do you tell your partner you're uncomfortable with their football team? But first, Zara, how was your week? Hello, good week. Had a bit of a Michelle Andrews week, if I may. What does that mean? What does that mean? No, I watched (laughs) The Rescue on Disney Plus on like Monday. And? And it was... So wonderful. I actually think it's one of the more remarkable things I've watched in a really long time. Like, not to be overly earnest, but also to be overly earnest. (laughs) I was like, human beings are incredible. Not just the people that survived in that cave, but how people, that many people, thousands of people can bind together to create a plan on something that complex. Just literally blows my mind. Yeah. If you're listening, missed this episode or if you're new to the podcast, hello, welcome. So glad to have you. This is a documentary about the Thai boys cave rescue that happened. It was like a few years ago. Yeah, it was about 2018 or so. So I watched that on Monday night. Last night I went to the movies to watch King Richard. Oh, Oh, what do you think? It was really good. I have to say I feel very cupful. So cupful. I'm about to overflow with my cupful because of that documentary into that film. King Richard was really good. Will Smith is remarkable. He He is incredible at what he does. He's exceptional. I know that there are a lot of rumours and sort of speculation at the moment that he will take home the Best Actor Oscar for that. Pretty insane that he hasn't won one of those already Mm. given the scope of his talent. But he is so remarkable in that. And you're absolutely right when you said the the best part of that movie is almost when the home videos come out at the end and you see how they really try to mirror specific details Mm. of their childhood. It was really, really good. I'm not an expert, but I do think Will Smith should win that award. Yeah, I also should, but I've only seen like one film nominated (laughs) this year, so I'm a bit biased. I do have a recommendation this week. It's a bit of a different one. For me, well, not really. We just haven't kind of recommended a written piece of content in a long time. Now, I realised this week that The Cut has sort of resurfaced a series that they do called Both Sides of a Breakup. And basically what they do is they interview two people who are dating about their breakup and then they write the story out. Now, they hadn't written one of these pieces in two years and they wrote another one this month. So as always, I'll have it in the show notes. But I find it exceptional for a few reasons. Firstly, it's just fascinating to read why two different people think the relationship fell apart. Because I think you'd find that with any of your friends. If you have two friends that dated, for example, and you talk to them about the relationship falling apart, the stories are different. Well, there's three sides to every story, right? Yeah. And it's certainly true in breakups. Yes. And then the other part that I can't stop thinking with this series is how do you get both exes on the record to yes. talk about that breakup? Like, I don't know anyone who would do that. Well, is this breakup that you're talking about, this particular article, was it like calamitous? Yes. 
Oh, was there yeah. cheating involved? Yes. Oh, they're my favourite stories. <laughs> That's why I'm like, how does this work? Like, how do you both decide? Do you talk to each other about it? I'm just endlessly interested in the logistics of getting it off the ground, which I know is not quite the point, but I do think it adds to the allure of the whole thing. Are the people identified in the story or is it just first names? I think it's just first names. I mean, interesting. Yeah. There is a YouTube series on this channel called Jubilee that does the same thing. But Jubilee. It's like filmed. Oh, Jubilee. Sorry. Yeah, sorry, I mispronounced Jubilee. <laughs> Jubilee. YouTube videos. Zara wouldn't know about this because she's not a, not a YouTube gal and it kills my little soul that you're not. Jubilee videos for anyone who's on YouTube. What is this? They'll, okay, everything's a social experiment. Mm. They basically continually get people in a room and make them do really, like, really awkward stuff from, like, rank people from most attractive to least attractive or, like... They get people together and you have to figure out who's the criminal in the group and just little or the virgin so, or all the virgin like little yeah. social experiments 24 7. So they've got like a stranger's walking into a room yes. and a stranger has to decide these things right and they've also done stuff like both sides of a breakup. Yes and then they've also done how two people fall in love people who are still in a relationship talk Aww. about they put like noise cancelling headphones on and then one person answers the question and then the other person answers the question. And I they, they couldn't be so wholesome. So wholesome. I say I told you I'm in an earnest 2022 <laughs> that's exactly the kind of thing I will go for. How was your week? It was a good week. I've done that classic thing of convincing myself that I will win Tats Lotto this week. There's like a 120 million draw and I bought a ticket with my boyfriend and my mum and now I've just envisaged my entire life like that I'm going to buy whatever house I want. I'm going to take all my friends to Europe in 2023. Like I've fleshed out a plan of what I'm going to do when I win and I'm preemptively annoyed that I'm definitely not winning a $120 million Powerball. Yeah, look, you're probably not, but I think it always pays to have a plan. I've long had a Tats Lotto plan and it's a very specific plan. <laughs> First tip, I don't think I'm going to tell anyone. Oh, yes. saying it on mic, Michelle, big mistake. Big mistake because suddenly Michelle's like driving to work in a Maserati <laughs> and everyone's like, shame's not doing that well. How would you plan on winning $120 million yeah. and your whole life changing and nobody Sorry. asking questions? Actually, that's a lie. I would tell my immediate family because obviously you're sharing the money around in that sense if to share with my friends what I would tell them I mean this is ridiculous now because I'm sharing the plan on mic so now they'll know I always said that I would tell them like 20 friends if I have 20 friends by the time I win <laughs> that I won an all expenses paid trip to like Mykonos for three weeks pay for the accommodation pay for the flights pay for the whole trip it doesn't sound reasonable but I don't but, think people are asking questions if they're getting there but then you're you're like moving into like a 10 million dollar home probably immediately after Maybe how are you not. gonna answer that there would definitely be as well loose slips in the McDonald family. I know for a fact you're like, I would only tell my siblings and my parents, Trish McDonald would go to the nearest bookstore and tell the bookstore attendant. Trish McDonald does has, have loose lips and she would be mortified <laughs> to think that. She thinks she has the tightest lips in the history of the world, but she she shares a lot. No, I, I always think that's the way I would play it, but you're right. It would be hard to keep it under wraps. What else would you do with it? Okay, so I have already planned. Mum and I, we're buying houses around Australia. We like kind of nutted out exactly where our ideal holiday spots are. We're thinking far north Queensland kind of vibe, maybe somewhere in Perth. Don't know. We haven't been to Perth for a while, so it'd be nice to go over and visit. And then like we were planning what cars we'd want to buy. I need something small because I'm a terrible driver, as Zara knows. <laughs> I wouldn't even go for a car. I don't care no. about cars enough. Not like a Maserati. I need just like a nicer small car. I think I'm fine with my Mazda. Oh, she's so wholesome. I Not am. even 120 mil. <laughs> it's very like Harvey Norman of me. He's the guy that <laughs> Um, just drives around in his old beat-up sure. car even though he's a billionaire. He's also, he's not called Harvey Norman. His name is Jerry Harvey. But oh, yeah. oh, whatever. <laughs> I mean, I don't think he's the best kind of guy either, no. so I don't think I want to be drawing comparisons there. Do you have a recommendation for me? I do, but I want to tempt for this recommendation because I'm only two episodes in and I've enjoyed it so far, but only two episodes are actually available of this podcast. So it might go down like a terrible rabbit this hole of being shit. You should not be a used car saleswoman. Yeah, no, I shouldn't. But it's called the Twin flames podcast it's by wondry media and i'm really enjoying it so far so essentially what it is it's kind of looking into i would say a social media movement that also doubled as a cult where these two love gurus basically coached their followers on how to find their soulmate and it very much followed the principle that everyone on earth has their soulmate and if you think you've met your soulmate you need to do whatever it takes to make that soulmate your partner now, you can naturally probably think this would lend to a lot of stalking, harassment, very uncomfortable behaviour that if I decide Annabelle's my soulmate and Annabelle's like, no thanks, 
my philosophy on love should then be, well, I'm going to make her be my soulmate. I need to do whatever I can to prove it to her. And so it follows these people over the first two episodes anyway. And it's very, very, very interesting to hear because I think I needed to check my privilege a little bit as someone who has been in a long-term loving relationship since I was so young. You listen to some of these people who maybe haven't found love and find themselves in their 40s and are getting quite exasperated and frustrated with that. And I think it is a good lesson in empathy and understanding, but also analysis to see how people find themselves in a position like this. Yeah, that's incredibly layered because it's like you cannot be excusing really troublesome behaviour, but it also pays to understand what drives people to that kind of behaviour. Well, if we understand what drives it, maybe we can stop it before it starts and less people will be victimised by it. So it's it's a complicated one, but a very interesting series so far. I think it's only just been released on Apple Podcasts. It had like two reviews in Australia. So So it's This very much has the energy again (laughs) of I got there before anyone else. This seems to be a common theme, hey, Annabelle. I mean, you did get on the podcast and say I've had a Michelle Andrews week. I'm clearly, I'm clearly trendsetted for you, so I'll take it. By the way, to return the favour, by the way, I did watch The Tinder Swindler and I loved it. There we go. You are so welcome. Talking about trendsetting or a vibe, let's talk about the vibe shift that's coming. Great segue, the by segue. the way. Thank you, everyone. We should have actual sound effects these days after four years of doing this show, but we don't. No, it's the thing that everyone was talking about this week. The vibe shift is coming and if you have absolutely no idea what it is, do not stress. We had no fucking idea what it was either. (laughs) Truthfully, spoiler alert, I still kind of don't know. Yeah, it's been a weird one, guys. Essentially, this is what everyone's talking about this week and it all started with a newsletter written by a dude called Sean Monaghan. Who is Sean Monaghan, you're asking? That is a great question. He is the founder of a trend forecasting consultancy company. I didn't know it was a job. (laughs) Is it a job? Well, I didn't think, truthfully, I rolled my eyes a little bit and thought, how pretentious. But then I started digging into this and I realised that Monaghan had actually helped found this like art collective, it doesn't exist anymore, called (laughs) K-Hole. the mood, hey? (laughs) Which is famous for giving a name to the phenomenon of normcore. And I thought, you know what? That's one little bow in his hat. I'll give him that little bow. It is now defunct though. (laughs) No, not normcore, not the term normcore, but but K-Hole is. is. (laughs) I mean, it's not defunct for everyone. (laughs) No, but the art collective K-Hole is. So this guy clearly has a pulse on the vibe. He does. He has a pulse on the vibe. On the culture. On the culture. And the newsletter goes out into the world. Sean's newsletter hits people's inboxes and basically says alert red alert a vibe shift is coming then from there culture analysts at places like the cut one of our favorite publications in the world pick it up and the cut wrote an article with the headline a vibe shift is coming will any of us survive it (laughs) a solar eclipse is on the way yeah it, it basically feels like a solar eclipse is on the way So if you're still wondering, guys, I still don't really understand what the fuck a vibe shift is. Here is a paragraph from Alison P. Davis's piece in The Cut that went away to describing this vibe shift. (laughs) A vibe shift is the catchy but sort of too cool term Monaghan uses for a relatively simple idea. In the culture, sometimes things change. The culture. And a once dominant social wavelength starts to feel dated. Monaghan, who is 35, breaks down the three vibe shifts he has survived and observed hipster indie music from 2003 to 2009 or peak arcade fire block party high-waisted cheap mondays williamsburg bespoke cocktail bars <laughs> post-internet techno revival of 2010 to 2016 i remember it well uh, or the blood orange era normcore dressing like the matrix kinfolks the club not kinfolk the magazine and hype beat what <laughs> Of 2016 to 2020, or Drake and his Drakest, the Nike sneakers app, sneaker flipping, virtue signaling, Donald Trump, protest not brunch. Now, in case that didn't make any sense to you, like it made no sense to me, rest assured, Junkie wrote this. Despite its catchy title and subsequent 15 minutes of fame, a vibe shift isn't a new concept and isn't particularly hard to comprehend. (laughs) That feels impossible to comprehend. What is that passage I just read out? The blood orange era. Is that referring, okay, I've sat with this for a little bit. Is the blood orange era relating to Aperol spritzes? Because those were a vibe moment. Is that what it is? And also, I need to hone in on this particular sentence. 
Kinfolk the Club, not Kinfolk the Magazine. I have no idea what either of those things are, but apparently they defined culture between 2016 and 2020. I think you might find that Blood Orange is not referring to Avril Spritzes, but a musician. So that's Says a lot about you, though, Michelle. Doesn't it? Says everything. It's just like... I have to say, we're joking around and it's so funny, but I've never felt more stupid than trying to consume this media this week about the culture. And there were people who were like, well, if you're even talking about the vibe shift, you lose because you're kind of, you know, being part of the vibe shift discourse. I mean, sure, whatever. But I'm like, am I just a full culture dummy that I can't really get my head around why we're talking about this. Like apparently a vibe shift is more than about clothing. It's about music. It's about culture and the way we spend our time. I mean, sure. And I've seen some jokes on Twitter that are like, aren't we just growing up? And I'm like, no, really, isn't this just age? Doesn't Don't things just change with age, the things that you do and the clothes that you wear? And I'm not saying that we aren't influenced by the stuff going around us. I mean, hello, fashion trends, but like This feels a bit wanky. Am I silly? No, it feels spectacularly wanky. And I keep thinking, is it even possible to notice a vibe shift in the moment? Like, sure, when we look back, particularly for me, I think growing up in the late noughties and the early 2010s, the vibe shift I can pinpoint for adolescence was like the Tumblr vibe shift of like one teaspoon shorts that had half of the American flag on them and Miley Cyrus's top knot. Like I can look back retrospectively and think, wow, that was really the vibe of that moment. It's not really possible to in the moment predict what the vibe is going to be or pinpoint it. This is something we do retrospectively when we look back and we go, well, those were the prominent trends of the last five to ten years. You can't do that in real time. That's only obvious once the vibe has passed. Well, it's interesting you say that because in <laughs> Alison P. Davis's piece, she said Monaghan had intended to drop a vibe shift follow-up on his Substack, which is his newsletter, in which he would dissect what was percolating. In Information he deemed so valuable it would require a $600 annual subscription to access. <laughs> a half a year later, he still can't quite figure it out. So Sean Monaghan <laughs> is going to his newsletter and say, the vibe shift is coming. I will sell you an article on what the vibe shift is, but you have to purchase my annual subscription for $600. But actually it's been six months and I have no fucking idea what the vibe shift is. $600 is insane. Apparently he's had to lower it to $50. I don't know if that's because of <laughs> jokes like this. But the vibe change. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently, though, (laughs) it it wasn't bad. (laughs) Apparently, he has his theories on what's going to change, if you will. Here's a quote. American apparel, flash photography at parties and messy hair and messy makeup. Wait, so that's our future vibe. The future vibe is American apparel, flash photography at parties, messy hair and messy makeup. What is messy makeup? Just like crying and having a mascara trip? Yes, or like like smudged lipstick. But also flash photography at parties. Parties tend to be dark. What, did he think we were all going to be taking pitch black photos? We kind of need flash photography, Henry. I I don't mean to pull a Michelle Andrews, but I have been pulling flash photography for years at parties. (laughs) I have been doing that. I am pre-vibe. You are pre-vibe. I also realised it's just called Sean Henry, so apologies, (laughs) Sean Monaghan. We're going too quickly to actually move back and it is Sean Henry. Henry would not be a trend forecaster in the slightest. (laughs) No, well, Sean isn't either. Hello. This sounds like it's straight out of 2009. We already went through that vibe. So what do we think is going to come of this conversation, right? Like all jokes aside, I know this has been a bit of a chaotic conversation, but I am really intrigued by this because it's like, I'm interested in knowing whether we ever hear about this again. Like, is this Mm. just a conversation that's seizing the news cycle for a week and then it just drops and then maybe in five years we work out what the vibe actually was? I think so. I think it's nigh on impossible to figure out what it is in real time. The only tidbit of information that I found interesting in any of this discourse this week about the vibe shift was Alison P. Davis pointing out that young people are feeling less political this year than they have previously. We went through one of the most hypercharged, politicised eras maybe ever, particularly given we had Trump's presidency, Black Lives Matter. We then, of course, had the pandemic. She made a comment and apparently Sean Monaghan has made a comment that people are trying to kind of sanitise their lives a little bit more from constant political news doom. That, I think, is a vibe shift. But I think we can only pinpoint that as a vibe shift because it's already been happening for two years. I agree with that. I also think the interesting thing about this is there is 
merit in looking at culture and seeing what's changing, right? Of course, that is important. I think the issue that I have with this sort of discourse is it doesn't do itself any favours when it looks and sounds the way that it does. Yeah. Like, can we not talk about this in a less sort of art collecty way and a way that sort of appeals to everybody without people wanting to roll their eyes into the back of their head? Yeah, I 100% agree. My favourite tweet throughout this whole thing was from a user on Twitter called Wakiki Wonder who wrote, I mean this sincerely. I think it is bad for your brain to think this much and this way about where you stand in culture. You are just describing getting older, which is fine, and you could not do anything about it if it wasn't. (laughs) It's true. We're just getting old. Coming up after the break, Britney's big book deal, Brooke Hogan's Instagram stories, and we need to open the shameless mailbag. But first, a word from today's sponsor. And now it is time for the quick and dirty. As always, we bring you the top five stories from the rough and tumble of the celebrity and pop culture news cycle. Michelle, Annabelle, your dog. Oh, ah. Surely not again. Well, you you said um, you were good at it. Michelle Vibe Andrews. <laughs> Michelle Vibe Andrews. Michelle, I was here first, Andrews. What have you got for me? Oh, guys, my first story. Britney Spears signs $15 million book deal. That is from Los Angeles Times. And for anyone playing at home, that's $15 million dollars USD. If we are, I was going to say translating, translating is not the word. If we're going to convert, convert, convert to AUD, we're talking 20.8 million dollars. A crazy amount of money. Page six got the jump on this news first. Apparently, Britney's writing it with Simon and Schuster. I mean, it makes sense that it couldn't be with a publisher like Penguin because they dropped all their cash on both of the Obama's books yeah. and are probably still paying it back, right? Yeah, that was the biggest book deal ever in history. Now, this news of Britney's memoir comes after the family's public feuding over the last few months. Essentially, Britney's been very upset over her sister Jamie Lynn Spears' new memoir. That memoir is called Things I Should Have Said and it was just published last month. Here's how the LA Times reported the reasons behind that rift. During the conservatorship, Jamie Lynn had been selected as a trustee of the pop superstar's estate and appeared to be seeking more control over Britney's fortune in August 2020. She later withdrew her petition. So essentially what's happened is Jamie Lynn Spears was potentially profiting and capitalising off of Britney's conservatorship only to then publish a memoir last month when everything went to shit with the conservatorship with a title that insinuates she should have spoken up sooner. Like the title, Things I Should Have Said, when Jamie Lynn Spears' name is alongside of it, tells people like, oh, I should have stepped in, I never agreed with the conservatorship, I could have done something maybe to change it. When really, Jamie Lynn was profiting from that very system. Yeah, it's completely ick. In a PR interview for her memoir, Jamie Lynn told ABC that she was Britney's biggest supporter. Now, Britney wasn't having a bar of this. She wrote on Instagram in a response to that quote, she wants to sell a book at my expense. She also wrote, congrats, bestseller. The nerve of you to sell a book now and talk shit, but you're fucking lying. I wish you would take a lie detector test so all these masses of people see you're lying through your teeth about me. I wish the almighty Lord could come down and show this whole world that you're lying and making money off of me you are scum, Jamie Lynn. <laughs> you are scum. I mean, it's not beating around the bush. It's not at all. So back to Britney and her book deal. This comes after a bidding war from multiple publishers. One insider told Page Six the book deal is one of the biggest of all time behind the Obamas. This will be juicy. It's her chance for revenge. Britney has felt like her family has crafted this narrative about her life, about her mental health for well over a decade now. This is going to be fucking interesting what she has to say. I'm sure there'll be plenty of skeletons that she kind of pulls out of the closet in this memoir. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. I think she's probably also been holding on to a lot of stories Mm. for the perfect time to tell them in a way that's thoughtful and considered. So I reckon this might be it. She's been waiting and we are so friggin' ready. My second story, Andy Lee is slammed for not proposing to his stunning partner, Rebecca Harding, after seven years together as they attend another wedding. (laughs) (laughs) That's from the Daily Mail. That headline is the silliest headline I've ever read. Another in big capital letters. How dare he not propose to her as they attend another wedding? (laughs) So... 
Comedian Andy Lee and his partner Rebecca Harding posted some photos at a wedding over the weekend. And so the Daily Mail proceeded to write an article about the fact that they were at the wedding and it wasn't theirs. <laughs> they wrote this article just pulling random comments from Instagram <laughs> about it. How's this line from the copy from Daily Mail? One of Andy's followers warned that Rebecca may leave him if he doesn't hurry up and make her his wife. Like, ooh, ooh, watch out, Andy. Like, scary. Like, are we fucking serious? Yeah, it's insane. I wonder if Andy regrets, because he obviously is a comedian and is a huge media personality, has poked fun at the whole situation before and has done a couple of skits where he's pretended to propose to Beck Harding yeah. and, like, filmed her reaction. I know they were so funny and I loved those videos and I still love them now. I wonder if a little bit of them as a couple look back going, God, we wish we didn't do that because now it's sparked this, not hysteria, but it sparked this. I would this- say there's hysteria around those two. I mean, think about, sorry yeah. to interrupt, but think about that time when Beck uploaded a photo on Instagram of doing like an LED face mask or something and in the background was a framed wedding photo and people just like feverishly assumed mm. that it was their wedding photo and that they had lied about it. Like a secret wedding that they hadn't told the public about. Yeah, and people went nuts about it. Like it was all over the news and they came out and they're like, no, it was Andy's sister's wedding photo. Yeah. Like people are obsessed with this idea that these two need to get married. I almost think these two, even if they do want to get married, should come out and just be like, oh, marriage isn't on the cards for us. Like, we don't care about a wedding. We don't care about getting married. Because then everyone will stop caring. Everyone will think it's never going to happen. And then if it does, they can be like, gotcha. It is real. I mean, it's like, it's 2022. It's a pretty reductive way to look at the world to say, like, this couple is now only legitimate in my eyes if they decide to put a ring on it. Like, what is to say they just genuinely have decided that it's not for them? But these articles, I mean, the reason that I wanted us to talk about it today is these articles will not stop Mm. and it's like they've been together forever they live together like I'm just not really sure what else we want from couples these days when we know on the record marriage is just not for everyone yeah agree my third story northwest's emo art is truly haunting that is from the cut (laughs) so as we know Kim Kardashian was on the cover of Vogue this month her kids were in the spread too the photos were so cool yeah incredibly cool now as part of that feature she also appeared in Vogue's video series called Objects of My Affection. It's kind of like part house tour but also just like focuses in on like key parts of the house or maybe like sentimental parts of the house that the person likes. It's very sweet. It's pulling out all of her possessions that hold real sentimental value. So she was pulling out like a note from her dad and he had actually kept a lock of her hair from when she was a child because he cut her hair. No, don't call it gross. I'm not. I was just going to say it was a bit more than a lock. It was (laughs) was a ponytail. It was a ponytail. (laughs) (laughs) I thought you were going to be like a bit gross. No, I wasn't going to say gross because it was sweet how she described it. I just think you should tell the story as it happened. Yeah, it wasn't a lock. It was a full-blown fucking ponytail in a bag. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) But she did have some really sweet household possessions, particularly for her kids. Like she was showing scrapbooks that she put together for each of her four children. Like very very sweet. One of the objects of her affection also happened to be Northwest's artwork. Here is a snippet from that chat with Vogue. Recently, North stayed home and had COVID. So this is her drawing that she did in her room. It's a charcoal. Maybe that was just her emo mood. So I love seeing like the personality and the moods and everything that she goes through and is feeling. It's really been an amazing hobby of hers. All right, now we need to put on the record here the big old elephant in the room, the raging elephant in the room, and that is that we have made some jokes about Northwest's artwork on this show before, (laughs) not at all sort of denigrating the work. We just had some questions about whether perhaps the legitimacy of the work. Now, we were set straight by none other than one Tracy Romulus, friend of the family, friend of the show now. (laughs) Family? Are the McDonald's friends of... No, friend of the Kardashian family, but also friend of the Shameless family who said... I can tell you they painted that. I think if you're commenting on a shameless podcast Instagram post, you're a friend of the show now. I mean, she wasn't a huge fan of us at the time, but we'll take her on as a friend. I will definitely take her on as a friend. So I just wanted to put that out there that Northwest artwork has been, you know, the subject of some conversations. But what we need to talk about is one of the pieces of artwork that Kim did show. And Kim was making jokes about it herself. Now, this piece of artwork was one that North made when she was like in quarantine for COVID or something. And I need to kind of describe it to you because I think it's a lead pencil drawing so it's all grey it's like a girl with two little buns in her hair space buns 
Good ones, space buns. <laughs> and she's sort of like the middle of a tornado almost, I would describe it. The little girl in the photo has no pupils in the eye, a flame coming out of her mouth <laughs> and huge fangs. <laughs> so <laughs> that's, I've nailed it, haven't I? That's great. And huge fangs. <laughs> <laughs> you really had like a kicker at the end. So, <laughs> you know, as we said, Kim cracked some jokes about this. The internet started cracking some jokes about this. There was a funny tweet from a guy named Alex West who said this is anyone taking care of a kid in a horror movie just with the <laughs> work out. In fairness to Northwest, I know this is making news everywhere and I know it might sound a bit convenient that I'm suddenly coming to her defence with the artwork. She is clearly a very creative and talented kid. Yeah, so true. And also like kids are allowed to paint things or draw things that are a little bit gothic or I know the cut called this emo. Like that is totally fine and not something that people need to be outwardly concerned about. I remember one time I decided as a kid to draw my parents a woman's face that was cracking. (laughs) Every crack had a different colour and then like she had like oddly, it was kind of like I tried to go for a cubism vibe. I probably didn't nail it at all as like (laughs) a 10-year-old. Picasso thing. I did. I tried to go for kind of that vibe and in the background, I wrote a poem about this woman whose face was cracking. And I remember my mum looked at it and went, wow, I love it. I might put it up in the bathroom, like her ensuite bathroom where no one would ever go. Probably because she was looking at it being like, I have a deranged child. Yeah, I need to set up some appointments with the child psychologist. Yeah. That's so funny. I only realised like in the last few years because I was like obsessed with you know, homemade artwork and mm. mine would always go to dad's office where I also <laughs> never went. <laughs> Turns out dad's office was going for the bin. <laughs> and anyway, I don't know how we got here. <laughs> My fourth story, a bit of a tone shift, guys. How is Prince Andrew paying for his settlement with Virginia Joffrey? That is from Town and Country. If you missed it, this came out last week. We kind of hit pause on covering it because we wanted to see what the fallout was like. So that's why we're talking about it today. But last week it was announced that Prince Andrew settled out of court with Virginia Joffrey, the woman who has accused him of sexual abuse when she was 17 years old. For those who need the refresher, this is all connected to those massive Jeffrey Epstein and Ghislaine Maxwell headlines, both of whom Prince Andrew was connected to and friends with for almost 20 years. Yeah, the allegations that Virginia levelled at Prince Andrew included three instances of abuse, which she said took place in Jeffrey Epstein's New York mansion, one in London and one on Jeffrey Epstein's private island in the US Virgin Islands. Now, when it comes to this settlement, an exact figure wasn't published by the courts, but it hasn't stopped newspapers speculating on what they think the figure is. And it's suffice to say it's pretty huge. It's a big one. The Daily Telegraph was first to declare that the total amount was exceeding £12 million. They later broke this down and said £10 million was going to Virginia, £2 million was going to her charity. Other places have speculated that maybe it was only 10. Some people have said it's seven and a half. I think there's just general confusion because maybe some is going to charity and some is going to Virginia. But I think what we know for sure is that it is absolutely in the millions of pounds and it's a huge, huge figure for Virginia. Like it's a it's a big win for her and her team. Yeah, I think given the sum, whatever it is between that range is so huge. People have been asking in the days since, who's paying for this? Like, Palace finance does generally feel confusing. Like how royal family members make their money and are so wealthy is pretty unusual. I think people are confused and it can be very hard to understand about how palace money moves. And I think that's probably quite deliberate, yes. right, from the fa- the royal family. Yeah, for sure. I mean, after all, Prince Andrew stepped back from his royal roles and his public duties in 2019. He stopped receiving public funding for those things. He did, however, still continue to live in the royal residences and receive taxpayer-funded police protection. Yeah, but it's not earning you any money. And like, I think the other thing that news outlets are commenting on is obviously we do not know the personal financial situation of Prince Andrew. Like who knows, he might have been a good investor over the years or whatever it might be. But we do know that he is about to sell a ski chalet as a way of trying to pay for this. Mm. Now, that ski chalet is meant to be worth over or around £18 million. But I think what should be noted as well when it comes to this is it's also pretty widely reported that he has a huge mortgage on that property and that he might not actually be making that much money off the sale. And if he is making 
money off the sale. It's not going to be anything close enough to covering this payout. Maybe I sound really stupid when I say this, but the thought of any royal family member having a mortgage is like shocking to me. I always think that they just have like a million properties and they own everything and that's how they are so wealthy. Well, they do. But I think this was like in Prince Andrew's personal name. And I think he's never actually had the most amount of cash out of anyone in the family, which is kind of a long roundabout way of saying that people believe that the Queen is helping fund the suit. Now, the Queen's going to have to be really careful here about where this money is coming from. Again, like because we don't really have great transparency about how money moves in the royal family, I don't think she's going to be able to pay it out using money from public funds. Mm. But isn't all the money public funds? Or how do you distinguish between public and private funds? Because it will have to come from somewhere that people accept as private. Yeah, it's murky for sure. A poll conducted by YouGov as well over the last week has found that 83% of British people do not think Prince Andrew can or should return to public life. 83% don't think he can do it. Yeah, exactly. And then the the rest of the 17%, like, oh God, the maths, like nine of those said no. He can, and then the rest were completely undecided. So that's still nearly 90% of British people who are either undecided or think he shouldn't, which is a huge amount of people. A huge amount, and I've got to say I do side with them. It's not like I'm disagreeing. I'm just surprised that in Britain, which is a a nation that is so royal family-centric, I'm surprised that this is the mood. I'm relieved that this is the mood. Yeah, I agree with you. I think it should be the mood. There's no way he should be a public figure Mm. in any way, shape, or form anymore. But I think it also speaks to to how Britons are really tapped out of the royal family. Like I think there's a lot of resentment there and has been for quite a long time and people are just like, it's just all a bit of a joke Mm, now. Particularly young people. Our fifth and final story for today's Quick and Dirty. Zara and Mish want to discuss Brooke Hogan's Instagram stories, but there wasn't a headline about them this week. Lol, that is from Shameless Media. (laughs) And I think we're just going to do this now when there aren't specific (laughs) headlines ready for us to go. No, what we wanted to talk about in this part of the Quick and Dirty to round it out is some Instagram stories we saw from Brooke Hogan this week. Now, in case you are from overseas or don't follow Brooke Hogan, she's a model and influencer with more than 600,000 followers. Now, She started copping flack, not heaps, but a small amount of flack for the prices of the clothes and the swimwear she sells under her fashion brand, Le Mans. Now, initially this all started because Brooke posted a couple of Instagram stories of her styling her company or her brand's new sarong, which retails for $110. Now, from there, I feel like little Instagram gossip pages or Facebook groups popped up and started to talk about the price of Brooks Brands clothing. Yeah, generally implying that things are overpriced. Now, the conversation got really interesting when Aussie influencer opinions waded into the conversation on Instagram. They essentially shared an image of Brooke in the sarong and shared a screenshot of the price. And that sparked a really interesting conversation with that page's followers. A lot of followers then started reaching out explaining why the prices have to be that high in order for Brooke to produce in Australia. That sarong, for instance, was made of a fabric called Rami or Rami. Sorry if I'm mispronouncing (laughs) that for any material nerds out there. It is a material that's eight times stronger than cotton and two times stronger than linen. So that is the reason the sarong's so expensive because it's so durable and sustainable. Yeah, some of the comments that we enjoyed being sent in to Aussie Influencer Opinions said things like this. People don't know the amount of time, money and effort that goes into creating sustainable clothing. Everyone wants everything to be ethical and good for the environment but aren't willing to pay the price. Yeah, Aussie Influencer Opinions actually polled their audience on this, asking, have people's expectations for the pricing of clothes been warped by fast fashion? 97% of respondents said yes. All of this commentary prompted a response from Brooke herself on her Instagram story, which we loved, Zara. You pointed it out to me where she wrote, everyone says they want Australian made and love to support Australian made, but the biggest criticism I've received is the cost of the garments. The crazy thing is the margin should be much higher than they are in order to operate a successful business long term. To be honest, I don't know what the future holds for local production of my business after watching almost every brand under the sun move production abroad because of the difficulties we face here, it makes me wonder, is it Australian made that's the problem or is it our mindset of what fashion items should cost? Yeah, she went on and said, instead of asking brands why things are so expensive, maybe we should start asking why other brands items are so cheap. I think for me, the minute I kind of consumed this conversation, I had this overwhelming feeling of like, God, we want everything from every single brand under the sun. And I also think we've confused 
holding brands to account to just being dickheads sometimes. Mm. Like I think this kind of accountability culture has lended itself to a lot of us just being assholes and nitpicking every single thing that somebody does online, particularly businesses. It's like, yes, of course, we should be holding brands to account who don't have good size ranges or who aren't good for the environment. But it's like, I actually think we need to be really careful about what our discourse is looking like at the moment, because when brands like this, who have to set their prices at a certain amount because they want to do local production and they want to try and be as sustainable as possible, are also slammed. It's like, we're in a total mess. Yeah, we absolutely are. The bar is pretty unreasonably high sometimes, I think, for people like Brooke Hogan. Like people are going to feel let down no matter what. And I think what always gets me about stuff like this is no one's forcing you to buy the $110 for wrong. This is what I don't get. It's like no one's grabbing your credit card or your debit card out (laughs) of your wallet. I hope not. Yeah. No one's grabbing that and forcing you to buy it. So why are people so enraged? Like, is there not a world where we can see a brand like this brand and go, okay, great for her. Good on her for trying something. Good on her for putting herself out there and doing this because it would be bloody tough. It's not for me. It'll be for other people. Yeah. We've lost that ability. We expect everything to be for us sometimes. It's like that that very famous old Amy Poehler mantra, I think, that we used to talk about in my family, which was like, good for her, not for me. Yeah, It's like we've definitely lost that ability for sure of being like, her thing, not mine. And as I said, of course, there are some scenarios where holding people to account is really important but I do think we've crossed the threshold past what is reasonable and helpful now like it all just feels a bit exhausting Zara goes bang that's all we've got for today's (laughs) quick and dirty thank you so much Hmm. you've got mail yes those are very powerful words all right guys we've received an absolute pillar of a shameless mailbag this week. We couldn't help but shove it into today's episode because we want to talk about it so badly. Annabelle Lee, will you do the honours? Of course. This one reads, Hi girls, my husband has just joined a new football team and last week he came home from pre-season drinks telling me about a card he has to keep on him at all times. It's a bit of a game. Basically, at any moment, someone can ask to see the card and if he doesn't have it on him at any given time, there's a punishment. Here's the thing, though. The card is a sexually explicit photo of a woman. (sighs) I'm struggling to come to terms with how I feel about this. On one hand, this wasn't his idea. He's the new guy to the team and he's just going along with it. On the other hand, it feels really disrespectful. When I raised my discomfort with him, he brushed it off, saying, it's a bit weird, but it's a club tradition, before saying I can't expect him to not participate when he's the new guy on the team. I feel like that's just perpetuating lad culture and feels so ick that he's carrying this image of a naked woman around in his wallet at all times. We're married, own a house together, and we've been together for six years. So it's not that I feel threatened. I just feel super uncomfortable. Am I being ridiculous? Should I try to let it go? How can I get him to understand my side of things? Please help. Interesting. Can we help? I have thoughts. That's what I can help with. Where to begin? Yeah, I feel like this reminds me of being back in high school and like being in the kind of orbit of male sporting teams that would have kind of fucked fine systems where they would demand that men would pay up if they showed any form of like emotion or vulnerability or hung out with a partner or whatever it might be. This kind of reminds me of that culture, but Mm. that was from 10 years ago. Yeah, I think as well one of my thoughts when I – heard you read it out, Annabelle, is like, I actually really wish I could see the card that this team is carrying around in their wallets or they're giving to the new players on the team. Because I think the context behind it is really important here. Like, is this a woman who's posing consensually for that photo? Say it might be a sex worker or a porn star. Like, is it someone who has posed for a photo where she knows that this might be the kind of use it's getting is it an anime cartoon like is it a the drawing of a woman in a sexually explicit position or is it a photo specifically designed to humiliate and belittle a woman for her appearance I can imagine in lads culture the kinds of photos and the kinds of undertones there could be to a card like this to body shame or mock a person. 
Or is it a woman one of the men know? Is it an ex-girlfriend? Which, yeah, which also is designed to humiliate exactly. completely. Which would be like there's, there's very different levels, I think, of how seriously I would take this depending on exactly who that woman is on the card and if she has any idea that her image might be used for a purpose like this. Logically, I think this photo absolutely has to be designed to humiliate the woman because why else in this kind of club are you forcing people to have it on them at all times? Like it's also designed to kind of make the men feel a bit embarrassed. It's the kind of card they don't want in their wallet. And with that in mind, I think it's absolutely designed to humiliate the woman because I don't think it's a card that the men necessarily, quote unquote, want in their wallet. That's the only Mm. kind of logical path I can take. I mean, I really do think that these kinds of environments, these kind of male sporting club environments thrive on submission. Like they also thrive because of pack mentality, because no single person feels strong enough to stand up against the grain. And like not to be totally Pollyanna here, but these environments, like how these environments function are the reason that horrendous attitudes about women are created and how they thrive. And like, I do want this guy to stand up and reject the game, but I'm not going to be black and white about it because I appreciate it's complicated. I guess I need to know, does this guy have any other friends? Does he have any other outlets? I get it's harder if this is like his only social outlet. Mm. But then I'm also like, you know what, if this is your partner's only social outlet, are these the people you want him to be around? All I can say is if this was my partner, this would be a real sort of line in the sand for me to be like, why are we even coming and having a conversation about this? I would hope that this is the kind of thing that you push back on straight away. Yeah, like this is the kind of thing that is obvious. It doesn't even need a discussion. I find it really interesting as well. You mentioned there, Zara, this is how really toxic attitudes towards women thrive. I think it's on top of that, how toxic attitudes towards men and sexuality thrive. Like we know in football, whether, I don't know what code she's talking about, whether it's soccer, AFL, NRL in Australia, but all three codes struggle with masculinity and the idea that to be an athlete, you need to be a heterosexual man. That is like a huge thing in Australia for international listeners, if you're not aware of it. We've never had an AFL player come out as gay. An AFL has been huge for over a hundred years. Thousands of men have gone through the code and yet no one has ever felt comfortable to come out as a gay man. Similar situations, not exactly the same in NRL and soccer. I think all of these things ingrain that idea that all these men have to have this sexual attitude towards women like I know that's probably another layer that's not as serious as the really toxic attitudes towards women perhaps I don't know I find it all just as serious it's all gross it's all just so and totally yuck and I know as we kind of have flirted around here it's like well if this guy's a bit anxious and doesn't have any friends like can we expect him to be the one that stands up but then I'm like you know what if he was the kind of guy that was really anxious and, and didn't want to stand up to this, I still kind of wish he came home and was like a tiny bit stronger in his, I don't know, disgust for the game. Like mm. I wish his response was a bit stronger than it's a bit weird but it's tradition. With that line and that qualifier of but it's tradition, does he think it's that fucked genuinely or does he think that anything that's actually rooted in tradition gets a free pass no matter sort of how problematic it might be? Yeah, interesting because that's a very easy tool like to weaponize and pull out and be like, well, it's how we've always done things. It's like, yeah, but the way we've always done things has been pretty fucked for a lot of people. Yeah, If this was my partner... I mean, my partner I don't think would find himself in this situation because he's not scared to kind of speak how he feels to people. But if I had a partner where he maybe was more quiet, more introverted, more anxious in these settings, I wouldn't expect him to on the spot say, I'm not doing this. In fact, sometimes on the spot, I think we've all experienced in our lives moments where we're like, fuck, I should not have reacted to that in the way I reacted. I was either bystanding behaviour that was awful and that I don't stand for, or I just didn't behave the way that I would like to carry myself. We all do that when we're put on the spot. So it's not like I expect him to turn around to the team and go, you guys are fucked. I'm not doing this. Yeah. What I do expect is after a conversation with his wife, this listener of the podcast, him too, if he's not willing to go and stand up to the whole club, throw the card away anyway. At least even if you're not the kind of person who can stand up to 20 people around you, if you don't want to be one against 20, I can have sympathy for that. What I can't have sympathy for is going against what you know is right 
do the fucking punishments. How bad could they be? Throw the card away, well, don't have it in your wallet and just do the punishments anyway and at least you know you are making your partner, your wife, the person you live with, comfortable every day. You are standing up for her even if it's in a more silent way than an overt way because not everyone can be overt. I just kind of think that the punishments would be pretty bad too. Like if this is the culture that they're creating, they clearly want to force people to keep this card in their wallet and I think the punishments must be so bad that they just assume that the card will stay. That's why I think the card has to be designed to humiliate a woman because you want to force it to stay in the wallet. I don't trust this club as far as I can throw it and I guess the sad thing about this kind of story is it. Yes, I said it feels like something from 10 years ago when I was at school, but I imagine that there are many male sporting clubs across the country who have very, very similar cultures. And again, it kind of poses the question more generally of like, what do you do when you hate your partner's friends or the culture that they're involved with? Like, can you expect them to cut these people off? I kind of think, again, I I don't know if I'm being too black and white about it, but it's like, I don't know if I want to be with someone Mm. who happily surrounds himself with these kinds of people. Mm. I also want to say to this listener, one line that I haven't stopped thinking about since we began this conversation is, it's not that I feel threatened, I just feel super uncomfortable. You don't need to even say that. Like it's this idea with men that it's like, oh, well, she's upset because she must be threatened by this other woman. Like women are always in competition with each other. She must feel like she's not as hot as the woman on the card or whatever. Don't even feel the need to say that. It's not about feeling threatened. It's about knowing what's right and what's okay. And this is not okay. Yes, you're uncomfortable. You you don't even need to tell us you don't feel threatened. We know you don't feel threatened. It didn't even cross my mind that you would feel threatened by this woman. But I think you're right. I think it's something that's levelled at women all the time. And I think it's something that they feel the need to justify to other people too all the time as if like their concerns can only be valid unless they are threatened. You're just jealous. Women are always jealous of other women. She can't handle this because she's so so jealous. Exactly. I don't know. I really hope that this listener can talk to their partner about it again properly. And it's not realistic, I guess, for us to assume that this is going to have a perfect outcome where he says, yeah, no, fuck it. I'm going to stand up to these people. But I would kind of hope the conversation that you have can elicit a little bit more passion from him Mm. about how troubling this game is and how troubling the culture of this club is. And if it's not passion, at the very least understanding, because it sounds like he's not even trying to understand you. And if he can't understand why years-long traditions can be hurtful towards women and minorities. He has a lot of reading to do. Yes, a lot of thinking to do as well. Guys, that is all we've got time for today. Thank you so much, as always, for listening. We will be on Instagram at Shameless Podcast, on TikTok at Shameless underscore podcast. Michelle, Andrews, anything to add? If you're interested in these kind of segments, we actually do advice columns every week in our Ask Shameless newsletter. So you can go to our website at shamelessmediaco.com, click on the newsletter tab, follow the prompts and we drop columns similar to this every Friday morning at 8am. Yeah, Annabelle Lee, anything to add? No. 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 Guys, thanks so much again. We will be back in your ears on Monday for another... And Saturday. And Saturday for another episode of Book Club and Scandal. I knew you were here for a reason. (laughs) Have you read it yet? Are you cramming? I've got like 70 pages left. Okay, I've got 170, but it's fine. This is what always happens. (laughs) We can do this. Bye. Bye.